Well, I invite you to uh, turn with me to two passages of Scripture this morning. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, first of all, and then uh, Romans 6, so you might want to find that. Keep your finger there. Uh, Roman, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, and then we'll turn to Romans 6. Let's pray just briefly before we read. Father, as we come to your word again, we pray uh, for your help in understanding it. Lord, open our eyes, we pray. Uh, give us your spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in, Jesus, in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And then turn to Romans chapter 6, back a few pages. And reading verses 1 through to 11. Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, we, uh, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, we are uh, concluding our series on uh, 
what it means to be a Christian today. This is the last one. And uh, we've been thinking about how it is that uh, that death that happened 2,000 years ago, how it comes to be applied to us today um, in, in such a way that it actually changes us and uh, has, has a profound effect on us. And over, over the last few weeks, we've worked through a number of essential things uh, that we need to know about. And today we're going to conclude with this topic of union with Christ. Union with Christ. And uh, you'll notice that he uses uh, baptism as a metaphor, if you like, for this idea of being united with Christ. So verses 5 and 6, he says this, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self... um, Oh, sorry, I've missed out verse 4. I should have said verse 4. We were... Uh, we were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised to, uh, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we'll come to baptism later, but um, uh, and so how does he use it to explain this idea of union with Christ? And, um, but what I want to do with you this morning is to explore this idea of um, being united to Jesus Christ. And, um, and the reason it's so important is, is that it actually encompasses the whole of our salvation. Uh, all the benefits and graces that we have talked about so far are possible because of this kind of uh, more fundamental issue of are you or are you not united to Jesus Christ? Are you bonded to him in an indissoluble bond? A covenant bond that cannot be broken. And all of this salvation is gathered up in this idea that we, we must have Christ. We must, and therefore we must be united to Christ. To have Christ is to have everything else. To have Christ is to have the benefits that Christ brings. So it's not just that we uh, have, have information about Jesus and therefore, uh, and, and so we attend church occasionally, but actually we have Jesus himself in our lives. And if a person rejects Jesus Christ, and his work, or think him incidental or unimportant, then that person cannot be saved. It's as simple as that. You cannot be saved. If you're somebody who thinks that all that's important about Jesus is to take on his moral teaching, and to seek to live a good life, but you do not really have him, then you still have no hope of salvation. No matter how good you are, you still have no hope of salvation. And John the Apostle puts this very clearly in one of his, in his first letter, 1 John 5, 12. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's that simple. Have you Jesus or have you not Christ is everything in salvation. So, 
What does it mean then, first of all, to be united to Christ? What, is, what does it mean? Some of, you, some of you may think that's a new idea. You may have never heard that before. And, uh, and it's not something that the church often speaks about today. I have to be honest with you. So, in order to explain this idea of being united to Christ, I need to talk about prepositions. Okay, this is going to be a language lesson. (laughs) Prepositions. So, maybe you know what a preposition is, maybe you don't. Um, But a preposition is a a little word that relates one thing uh, to another uh, positionally. Uh, So... And so what we're talking about is the position of a Christian in relationship to Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we might think that's understandable. Uh, there, there are lots of ways, lots of prepositions we use to describe our relationship to Christ. So Christians can be behind or after Christ. After is the preposition. Because he, he leads as a shepherd. So he goes ahead of the sheep. So you're after him. So you... Prepositions afterwards. Uh, Christians are with Christ. Another preposition, with. Christians are with Christ as we walk with him and he with us. And uh, the idea of being alongside uh, one another. And so Paul uses that preposition in in verse 8. Now if if we have died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. With Christ. And uh, Christians are under Christ in the sense that he is the king and we are his subjects if we're Christians. And so he is Lord and we are uh, uh, the, the servants, of, if you like. And uh, Christ is over us and we are under him. It's never the other way around, by the way, just in case there's any doubts about that. We're never over Christ. Um, so that's some prepositions that uh, Paul uses. But by far, the most important proposition uh, preposition that uh, Paul uses is this one in we are as Christians we are in Christ we are in him and um, and we have an example of that here in verse 11 so you must consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ you're in Christ other examples if you look ahead to Uh, uh, verse 23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord or if you look ahead to chapter 8 verse 1 he says therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Uh, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death so being in Jesus is what it means is, is, is a a central idea that Paul uses and is closely connected with this idea of being united to him. Um, and it's a, an unusual idea. But to find salvation, you see, to get the gift of eternal life, to get to the place where there is no longer condemnation for your sin. To be free of the sin that holds power over you left to yourself, you have to get in Christ. You have to be put into Christ and to be saved. And it's there that all the riches of salvation are found in Christ. 
And, well, you might think, well, okay, that's a quirk of Paul. Paul was a funny bloke, so did, you know, does he just have this particular linguistic thing he did? Um, did Jesus speak this way? Oh, yes. Yes, he did. He actually does so in a very compelling way, um, much more kind of evocative way, I think. John chapter 15. And, uh, excuse me a second while I find it. John chapter 15. And uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, unless, uh, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the true vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So to be a branch in the vine, or to be a Christian in Christ, is absolutely vital. Nothing can happen without that. You cannot be saved. You cannot enjoy the blessings of salvation in that way. Um, and so these 12 disciples are being encouraged to, be, to, be, to abide in him. And he actually puts it the other way around as well. And I will be in you. And so this kind of mutual indwelling begins to, to happen when somebody becomes a Christian. You're in Christ and he is in you. And it's this amazing picture of a vine that really helps us to try and grasp the unity that uh, occurs uh, in union with Christ. So if, whenever you think about union with Christ, think about this vine and what it means to be grafted in to this, uh, this organism. And Christ doesn't limit his teaching to a believer's relationship to Christ and the Son of God because actually he begins to speak about how uh, that union with, with him in the vine, as it were, actually opens up access to the Holy Spirit and to the Father. And you can look that up in John 14, 17, and 23. That actually when you're in Christ, you enter into fellowship actually with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why Christ is the, the only way, the truth, and the life, isn't he? Because he is the only way to the Father. So he is the way um, through union with him. So Jesus paints this picture of salvation and eternal life that has this organic, vital connection uh, with Christ. That a, a Christian has this organic, vital connection with Christ. And when you're united to him, you enter into this marvelous relationship between him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I have to say, it's only through this union, being in Christ, that you can possibly know this. Anything else is an illusion. In fact, it's a cruel lie. To think that you can get to heaven without any of this is a cruel lie. Because this is the only way. To be in Christ. So do you have Christ this morning? Do you have him? Is he yours? Are you in him? Is he in you? And I tell you, if, if he is in you, and you're in him, you will know about it. Because that holy, divine invasion of your person will turn your world upside down. It will change you, and you will never be the same again. You'll be changed on the inside, and you'll gradually change on the outside too. So here's the next thing. The scope of union with Christ. 
the scope. <laughs> How wide and big is it? What we've said so far is that uh, union with Christ tends to, f- we've said so far, focuses on our personal experience of being in relationship to Jesus Christ, being in Christ. Uh, that's, and that union is affected in our lives by faith. We've, we've dealt with this in a previous sermon. Faith comes, and that faith is what unites us to Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit works that faith in us and joins us to Jesus. That's how it works. And so that comes into our personal experience. But I want to show you that being in Christ for the Christian stretches through eternity. And I don't just mean in my future experience from now on I'm going to be uh, in Christ. That's true, but I'm not just talking about that. It actually goes backwards into the past. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's a bit weird. How can that be so? Um, how can I be in Christ in the past before I was ever a Christian? Well, that's what makes the Bible so interesting. It says strange things that we have to think about and, be, and take care over and understand what, it, what he's saying. So let me just point out two ways in the past that we are united to Christ. Number one, he chose us, and this is for, from Ephesians chapter 1, that we read a moment ago. Ephesians chapter 1, um, he says, chapter 1 verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the earth. And before there was a creation, before there was a world, a universe, God had chosen us in Christ. And now when did that happen? Did that happen when they believed? No, it's, that's not what he's talking about. No, it happens before the foundation of the world. You see, it's such a, a radical statement before the foundation of the world. And this may be a bit unsettling for us, because, but it's clearly a theme in Scripture, the idea that God has plans and purposes for his people long before we know anything about it. And notice how he has chosen his people. He has chosen his people in Christ. Not just arbitrarily chosen them, he's chosen them in Christ. Before I ever existed, before the world ever existed, God contemplated me, a Christian, not by myself, but in Christ. It's a remarkable thing. In other words, the great plan of God for the redemption and renewal of all things, part of that is that he planned for me to be in Christ. There's cosmic regeneration that's going to happen. But part of that is for God to plan for me to be in Christ. So, you might call that predestinarian union, union with Christ. Predestinarian. You might forget that, but it's to do with his predestinating purposes. But there's another place in history, in the past, where I was united to Christ. And it's found in the passage we read in uh, Romans chapter 6. And this is where Paul brings in baptism, uh, because it gives us a very concrete way of kind of remembering and thinking about what happened to us. Um, You notice that in verse 3 he says, uh, you know, baptism represents identification 
with Christ in his death, verse 3, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? We're baptized into his death. So some sort of identification going on uh, in baptism with the death of Christ. And then verse 4, we were buried therefore with him in baptism, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so that identification is also with his resurrection uh, from the dead. And so when Christ Jesus was going through the ordeal of suffering on the cross and experiencing utter desolation, he was doing that as my representative on the cross. He was doing it for me as a representative. So in a sense, I was there. I wasn't literally there, but in a sense I was there because he was my representative, my covenant head, dying for me. And because he did that, I'm able to consider myself dead to sin and alive to God. Verse 11. Now this event 2,000 years ago and my identification with it as a Christian, you might call redemptive historical union. The history of redemption. You know, redemptive historical union with Christ. I was not there, but Christ was there for me. And so, and so to summarize then, this idea of union with Christ, though it is one union, it, has three, it just seems to have three parts to it. Predestinarian union, God chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. Redemptive historical union, uh, Jesus dying for me on the cross in my place as my representative. And then thirdly, in my personal experience, a faith union or a vital organic union with Christ himself by faith. And so all that was planned in history... And all that was in eternity and all that actually came to fruition in the history comes into my personal experience and personal union with Jesus Christ. It's all in the plan of God. You know, an analogy of all of this might be something like this. Now, I've always got to be careful with my illustrations because they're always limited. <laughs> be careful. But here's an analogy. It's like the planning of the architect to build a new house to live in. Starts off with the architect. Then there's the building work that's done. And then finally, when the building work is finished, I can move in. And so it is with the Christian faith. God, is, the Father, has planned it from eternity past. Jesus has done the work for us in his, his saving work on the cross and de- his resurrection. And now I can move into that salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. You see? Now it's interesting that Paul closely relates the work of Christ to baptism. And Paul, I think, you know, he's, he's addressing believers here, but the emphasis in Paul's thinking here is not on their believing so much as is about the amazing grace of God in salvation. That in the electing purposes of God in sending his son to save them, uh, the coming of faith is the appearance of the buds of salvation in the lives of those believers. And, and so it is. But it's just the flowering of God's saving grace, you see, uh, as he works out that union that they have with Jesus Christ. Incidentally, that's why we have hope for our children when we baptize them in this church. That in the fullness of time, 
we will see the flowering of God's grace in their lives. And that could be continually happening from the earliest days. Uh, so that they have a personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they're being brought for baptism, then they already have a gracious blessing of being born into a Christian family. That is such a blessing of God. And the Bible tells us that in that state, our children are holy. 1 Corinthians 7.14 And Luke 18.16 says, to, that, to such belongs the kingdom of God. And so we baptize our children for that reason. But our prayer is that in time, they will take up their inheritance rights by faith with their arms outstretched to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can look on the baptism of our children with faith. And we can see it ourselves and we can apply it to ourselves and we can say God has washed me clean and cleansed me and united me to Jesus Christ. Here's the next thing. Pressing on. How are how all the benefits are obtained in union with Christ. What I want to do is just gather everything together now. And everything that we've learned in the series that we have followed. I want us to understand that the benefits that we've talked about so far only make sense when we have received union with Christ. When we are in union with Christ. And it's only possible because... And it's only possible because... Those benefits are only possible because Christ himself has experienced them. Let me just work through with you some of them. We've started off talking about the call of God. We started off talking about the call of God in our lives. Well, Jesus himself experienced the call of his Father. Isaiah 46, 42 verse 6. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the, for the nations. That's his, the Father speaking to his Son. Jesus experienced a call, the Son experienced a call. Then there was the imparting of life. We thought about regeneration, being born again, being raised to life. And Jesus is spoken of as having been granted life in himself. Uh, John, John 5, verse 26. Uh, Jesus, you see, is like us in every way. He is fully human, body and soul, uh, and he needed to be sustained by the Holy Spirit, but he is given life that he might impart it to others. And then we spoke about the gifts of faith, and of course, Jesus... In his humbled state as a man walking on this earth, trusted his father. He had faith. He experienced that living faith. And only as we are united to Jesus Christ can we experience that living faith. The same could be said of repentance. Uh, Christ never sinned, of course, but he certainly turned away from idolatry. And sinfulness. And because he did, we may turn away from sin and idolatry. What about justification? How is Jesus justified? You know, what we when we receive justification, we receive forgiveness and acceptance with God. Was Jesus justified? Yes, of course he was. He was justified at his resurrection. 
1 Timothy 3.16. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated or justified by the Spirit seen by angels. It's at that moment of resurrection he moves from being sin for us to being righteousness. He is justified. So he's justified at his resurrection. And because he is justified, we are justified too. And so we could go on. We could talk about sanctification, glorification, adoption. These are not found separately apart from Christ, but are found in Christ. Well, let me finish by bringing a few words of application. And uh, let me say, first of all, if you're not a believer today, you need to have Jesus Christ. You need to be united to him by faith. You need to come to Jesus Christ to be saved. It's not enough to be a good person. uh, Because you'll never be free of sin's guilt or sin's power that holds you. It's not enough. You cannot be saved by a self-help program. You must come to Jesus Christ. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to come to church. Uh, Religious leaders of Jesus' day were very religious, but they weren't saved. Um, They were more religious than anybody in this room, I dare say. But they weren't saved. But their religion, they blinded them to the identity of Jesus. And so coming to church can blind you to the identity of Jesus if you think that by simply coming to church in your goodness, you're going to be saved. You can be blind to Jesus Christ and his true identity. I meet people like this all the time in Solihull who go to church and don't seem to have any idea who Jesus Christ is, but they think they're doing God a favor by coming to church. If you're not a believer, you need to come to Jesus and be joined with him by faith. Now, if you are a believer today, two things I would say to you. Firstly, don't separate Christ from his benefits. So fundamentally important. Do not separate Christ from his benefits. Let me illustrate this with a verse of scripture. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of us glory in the fact that we're no longer under condemnation for our sin? How wonderful. We're forgiven of our sin. We're rightly thankful to God for this fact. But how easy it is to diminish the fact that it only comes in Christ Jesus, with Christ. That when you have Jesus, you have forgiveness. And the great treasure of salvation is actually not the dry technical acquittal from guilt in the courtroom, though great, that is great. The great treasure of the gospel is Jesus himself and having him as your saviour and knowing him and longing for him. The second thing I would say to Christians about our union with Christ is this, that when you're united to Christ, Christ, you become united to his people. You become united to his people as well, the church, his body. And you see that in all the images that the Bible uses uh, for the church. Not, there's not just one branch in the vine. There are many branches in the vine. And we're all branches together in the same vine. 
And there are many other pictures of union with this body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You become part of an organic body that is connected to one another. You're united to Christ and to the other parts of the body. Or Ephesians chapter 2 talks about a building made up of living stones. The chief cornerstone is Christ, but all the, all the, all the stones are, are closely connected to one another. If they don't, the building doesn't stand up. Um, you're closely connected with other brothers and sisters. And therefore it's impossible to say, for somebody, for a true Christian to say, that I can be a Christian and I don't need to be part of a church. That's impossible. You're denying union with Christ if you say that when someone is truly united to Jesus Christ then as well as the impulse to be close to Christ there's the impulse to be close to other believers in worship and in service so friends as we close play your part play your part in the church if you're a Christian commit yourself to his work to his worship Because this is evidence of your union with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is in us and we are in him. We pray you'd help us to grow ever increasingly into the knowledge of that blessedness. Day by day, week by week, year by year. Until the end of days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.